How many of you um, have uh, been playing with apps? Anybody? Anybody? No, for real. Anybody? You can do it during service. Somebody texted the other day. They were putting it on Twitter that they were doing it during service, surfing around for apps. I, that doesn't personally bother me. Uh, I realize that we, we are coming into a generation. There are people who are really able to multitask. Now, I, I think that I can't do that very well. <laughs> Maybe it's just me, but I, there's times where I, I can't do two things at one time. Nobody can well. <laughs> Some, you know, it's interesting, though, to see how, how you know, different people have different uh, aptitudes. I'll just put it that way. But as we're talking about apps, I, I found a couple apps I'd like to share with you. One, I've heard people talk about this, and it's an amazing tool. What I'm going to do is show you. What, what's really interesting is some of these you can find right on your computer. If you use Google Chrome as your web surf or your web, uh, what's it called? Rout browser. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you all for that. If you use that, you can put some apps on there that are exactly like the apps that go on your phone. So here's what they look like. And you'll see there's that Angry Birds we looked at a few weeks ago. Let me show you this one, though. If you're ever looking for a movie, this is almost creepy, actually. So if you hit that Flickster there, what it does is it gives you kind of what's in the box office right now. But here's the creepy part. If I go to Showtimes, I don't know how it does this, but it knows where my computer is. And what it's doing right there is it's searching the, <laughs> the area. And it's going to find theaters actually in this area. There we are, the closest theaters there. You'll notice is AMC Commons. Isn't that creepy? How did it know? I didn't put in a location. I did not, I promise you. It just knew that. It, it does. <laughs> Big Brother, I guess. I don't know. So if you look at the movies that are available right there, you can scroll down and see which movies are available. And if you'll notice, like, for instance, Captain America here, it shows the, the, lone, <laughs> the lone time for that show is right there at 10.05. But if you went down even further, I mean, you can see whatever movies are coming up. What's also great about this site, I noticed, is you can set the date. So say you wanted to go to a movie on Friday. You know, all the movies come out on Friday, right? So if I hit Friday there, it should adjust to what the movies are on Friday. And then again, shows the show times. Now, here's another feature. If you're interested, you can hit 9.55 and you can buy your tickets. Isn't that amazing? Now, here's what's amazing. I'm doing it on the computer just to show you how to do it, but I can literally do all this from my phone. Really easily, just the same way. In fact, it's a little quicker on my phone. I don't know why that is, but it is. Let me show you another app that's uh, fun and uh, interesting. Here is a, there are a lot of, on phones, there are a lot of photo editing apps you can get. This one's called Be Funky. It's free. I don't, I don't pay for any apps. I just gotta be honest. I'm just cheap that way. I will not. There are great apps that you could pay for. I just don't pay for them. But here's one that's interesting. Edit photos. You click on it and it'll say... Upload a photo from my PC, my library, from my Facebook, webcam, all these other images. But I might do it from my PC. So I'm going to go to my pictures. You'll see I have a lot of picture files I use for different things, for illustrations. Some of them are funny. I'm just going to go into some pictures I've taken recently. And just for fun to edit them, some, you may recognize some of those people. I don't know. But if we just grab this one right here, it's going to put it on the website there. And literally, you can do all of this from your phone. You don't have to just do it on a computer. Then if I wanted to mess around with that picture, I can do all of these different things to the picture. So I just softened it a little bit. Let's apply that. Uh, if I want to change the look of the whole thing, I can 
dark in different parts, brighten them too much. I'm going to discard that so we don't do that. Um, exposure, maybe the exposure wasn't perfect. You want to increase the light of the picture, lighten it a little bit. I don't really want to do that, so I'm going to discard that as well. Uh, if I wanted to highlight the shadows, just change the way different things in the picture looked. I'm going to give it some more shadows. Again, that's not something I'd want to do necessarily, but it does. See what I'm saying? It's amazing what you can do. Now I'm going to shut all that down because we don't need that. Again, just showing you there are different things that you can use on your phone that are out there that are things that you may not even have known that were there. But again, all we're talking about here and just trying to draw the, draw the comparison to Scripture. And the point is that there are apps, applications, but again, they're useless if we don't use them. Now, I mentioned that I have this on my phone. I've used it two times, two times in a year. Never even used it. And it's, the reason is, it's just sometimes, sometimes these things take a little bit more time to apply and to actually put into use. Now, if I was going to do that to photos, I don't particularly make photos funny and then keep them. I, I just don't do that. Some people do, and if you do, that'd be great for you. But for me, I just don't do it. So what I'm saying is I don't apply that app that I have on my phone. Now, the movie one I could see myself using, most of the movies we see these days are kid-type movies. And uh, our, I just rely on our kids to let us know what's coming out when, and then we'll check on... Uh, there's a great website I would recommend called PluggedIn.com. It's through uh, James Dobson's ministry. They give an incredible detailed information about any movie you want to see. I'm talking literally down to which bad words and how many times. So we make judgments on what are, we let our kids see based on all of that. I mean, they talk about sexual content, spiritual content, everything you might need to make a judgment based on what movie you may want to see. Now, with all that said, tonight we're going to... James is going to get rough with us. Can I be honest before we, can I be honest? Just kidding. I like saying that now because I think about it all the time. Here's the thing. This part of the book of James almost reminds me of something that's so obvious. And I know I said this a couple weeks ago that I almost hate to bring it to you. You know what else? It's going to get rough tonight. It's going to hurt a little bit. And as I read this, I, I thought of back when, uh, when Jeff Wilkie preached and he talked about his dad said that if his toes didn't get stepped on, he didn't feel like he got, went to church. So I hope you feel like that. I mean, I hope your attitude is that before we talk tonight, because all of our toes are going to get stepped on a little bit. And as I was preparing this message, there was a few times where I thought, man, Lord, this is just a little bit hard. How many know that scripture sometimes is very plain spoken and people, they, they, they almost want to act as if Christianity is or the scriptures are always super nice and sweet and like a kid book, and they're not. They're not. The, the Bible is much, much more like it describes itself, that double-edged sword that cuts deep to the marrow, separating bone and marrow. That's a lot more what it's like. And I find that more often than not, as I read scripture and I really spend time and look at it, I find that it starts reading me. And there's things that I see in me that I don't want to see and I didn't really, really, really want to deal with. And I didn't want to have God just pointed out so perfectly that I have to deal with it. And yet that's what happens. As we start reading the scripture tonight, it starts off right away getting personal. What causes the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Now, that's almost an echo of what James said earlier in chapter one. Remember when he said each person is tempted 
when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. You know what I find myself slipping into more often than I care to admit is is justifying my behavior or comparing myself to other people. Because it's so easy to set myself up as the person who, well, it wasn't really fair because the situation, you know, we're not comparing apples to apples, and I'm a little bit better than them, and in the same situation, I think I did all right. But that's not God's standard. It's not now, and it never will be. The truth is that he judges each of us individually by what he's given us. You know, I heard, I heard this the other day. We were talking about parenting. Nicole and I have been reading this book, and we're, we're teaching with Nick and Brittany this class on, on parenting, and something that they brought up recently in the book was the fact that most children think that fair means equal. Guess what? It's not just children who think that. It's immature adults who think that as well. And we think that equal, everything should be the same. But it's not like that. Nothing in life is really like that. We want it to be like that. And we have this idea of what fair is based on things being equal. But that's not true. There are a few equal things in life. Jesus loves us all the same. We all sin. All sin has to be paid for. But even all sin isn't equal. I'm sure you've heard that, that kind of oversimplification that all sin is sin, which is true. But even scripture defines that there are different consequences for different sin. And certain sin have more far-reaching consequences than others. Scripture's plain about that. Children need to learn that not everything is going to be the same for everybody. Because that's not what everybody needs. We, we all need different things. Certain kids in this particular book, it's talking about the five love languages, and it's talking about specifically how some kids need more physical affection than others. Some need more verbal. Some need more time. So as a child in their maturity might step back and say, like, for instance, I'll just give you a quick example. Nicole caught our daughter Grace doing a great thing. She gets home. She rides the bus home and gets home about 30 minutes before Nicole does. And what she's supposed to do in those 30 minutes, she's got some responsibilities around the house to do, you know, emptying the dishwasher and, you know, that kind of thing and starting on her homework. Well, we wouldn't really know if she did all that in 30 minutes. She could do a lot of things. And Nicole came home and she'd done it all and she was doing her homework. And she praised her for that right then. But then the other two said, when they heard Grace getting praised, they said, but mom, we do good things too. (laughs) That's not the point. This praise was for her for what she did. Do you see the difference? But as adults, we become immature at times, too, and expect things to be the same. And it's just not that way. James gets rougher with us. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. <laughs> you want only what, you, what will give you pleasure. Sad, isn't it? Sad. It's sad, but it's so true. And it's taken psychologists and social scientists, you know, hundreds and thousands of years to come to the same conclusions that James told us so obviously about. Are you guys, anybody take psychology, you're familiar with uh, you know, Piaget and then Kohlberg came out with a kind of a moral development scale. He's got seven steps of moral development that human beings go through. I want to simplify that just for our purposes tonight. But you know how children, when they first start off, they just want what they want. A baby cries because it's hungry and its diapers dirty. And it's so self-centered. 
Where if that we were that way as an adult, and maybe you know some adults that way that only care about themselves, completely egocentric, nothing else matters but their own needs. Maybe you know people like that. They're at that first lowest stage of development. Then as children grow, they enter to this next stage where they enter a, a stage where they're trying to avoid punishment. They're not doing things because it's the right thing. They're doing it to avoid punishment. But that's how we train them. And then there's that stage where where they do things because they're going to get something good back. It's kind of like you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's the reward stage. But then, jumping quite a ways ahead, there's stages further on that Kohlberg defined where people start doing things for the right reasons because it's good for society or good for them. And then the ultimate stage, stage number six, he says, or even seven, he says that only about 25% of human beings ever reach this stage. And that's the stage of true ethical behavior where you do the right thing for the right reason. You know what's interesting about that? That's Christianity. That is Christianity. Now, as you read the scriptures, there are times where, you know, Jesus will say, you know, honor your father and mother because it's your promised, you know, a long life, that kind of thing. But ultimately, Christianity comes down to it and says, love others because I have loved you. Do good because I have done good to you. That is the ultimate of ethical behavior, and it's found specifically in Christianity. This is where you find it. Don't do revenge. Leave that to God. All of these things that you find in Christianity is the highest form of moral development. And yet James pins us right down because most of us fail. Even though we, we strive for that and that's where our goals are, most of us end up right here where our motives are only selfish and we only want to do what gives us pleasure. We, we revert back to those first earlier stages of life where we only do things because we're not going to get caught. D.L. Moody said that true morality is what you do in private. Or what you, he said what you do in the dark. When nobody would know. When nobody can search your, check your search history on your computer. Where nobody knows what comes over your TV and your cable system. When nobody knows when you're out of town and you don't know anybody there. True morality. But we usually do, just like what James said, only what serves us and gets us pleasure. And it's interesting, I, I've always read this verse where it says you don't have what you don't, uh, you don't have because you don't ask. And I've read it wrong most of my life. <clears throat> I've read it as if God was saying here, ask me for things. The only reason you don't have them is because you didn't ask. But if you look at the context of the scripture, that's not really what this scripture is talking about. There are other scriptures that talk about that. But this one right here is implying you're, you're not asking because maybe in the back of your mind and in your conscience, you know you're asking with the wrong motives. You don't want to even ask. Because you know that if you did ask, you would be exposed and God would say, child, really? Is that really what you got for me? Is that really what you want? I mean, seriously, if you're really going to ask for, for things that are, that are par- coming out of your evil desires, why would you go to a good God, a moral God, and ask him for those things? Leaves us unsatisfied. Unfulfilled. Because when you search after the wrong things for the wrong motives, I mean, you could hear maybe three quarters of the country songs talk about this. I heard the other day, it, and I, I think I've heard it before, but it was just so comical. I was, in the, I was actually getting some keys made. I was in the lock shop, and they had country music set, and they had a, like, their reverse. Have you heard their reverse country song? You ever heard that song where you get all your stuff back? I just laughed. I heard I thought, that is so funny. 
unsatisfied. The world is unsatisfied. People live and they strive so hard to get what they want, but they strive for the wrong motives. And in doing so, they end up so dissatisfied. Nothing, nothing is, is pleasing. And it's not nothing. It's not anything new. If you, read Song, or if you read Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, he just says, I tried everything and nothing satisfied me. I went after this and I went after that and nothing, nothing satisfied. I want what I don't have. You know, there's a level of contentment. I heard somebody say this recently, and and when they said it, I had to stop and think, hmm. Because Paul said, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. And the person who was speaking, it was Doug Clay, and as he was speaking, it was almost just a comment in passing. He said, contentment is a learned trait. He said that and he kept going. I didn't even hear the next 10 minutes of what, his, what he was talking about because my mind was stuck on what he had just said. Think about it for a minute. If Paul said, I have learned to be content in whatever I have, then that's a learned trait. Contentment is learned. Think, think about it like this. Here, here's a, a, just another example. God has given men a sex drive. We can say sex, right, in this context. God has given men a sex drive, but he's given, given it to us in a certain, for, for certain, uh, for marriage, and he's given it to us in a, in a certain quantity. But in the world we live in today where it's so over-sexualized, everything is pornified from, from TV ads to billboards to magazines, everywhere you look. I worked at 7-Eleven in college, and back then in, that would have been like 81 82, I worked graveyard shifts for, for those two years, Fridays and Saturday nights. Great time to be at a 7-Eleven, by the way. Very exciting time. Um, but back then, people still had to ask for pornography. They had to come up to me. They wouldn't look me in the eye, and then they would ask for it. And then I would give them a hard time. And then my boss would give me a hard time because <laughs> he wanted to make money and sell it. But you don't have to ask anymore. It's everywhere. So similar to this, what, what happens is with a man, if you, if you feed that out of control, then that sex drive becomes a problem for him and not the way God intended it to be. The same thing is true with the satisfaction. The reason we're unsatisfied is we continually feed our selfish desires so that they begin to get out of control. And we're, we can't be content because we've, we want so many things and we overwant to the point where we're never satisfied. It's as if we have so many things that we can't get enough things. I love to go garage sailing. My wife enjoys it as well. But here's what's funny. You'll go places and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's certain things you like. And, you know, I'm looking at them and somebody else says, oh, that's a good deal. You should buy that. And I, look, I honestly look at them. I says, well, I, I don't need. I already have one of those. <laughs> and they look at you so disappointed, like, but you could have another one. They don't want another one, you know, and I, and I feel bad kind of because, you know, I mean, they're trying to sell stuff. But here's the thing. Our world, the, the, the preset attitude is that nobody should ever be satisfied. Always want more. Always get more. Always have more. Look better, this, that. Always trying to get more. So these desires that we have, are they bad? I mean, seriously, 
dreams? What are your dreams? What are your desires? Are they out of control? Do you think they're, do you think that you've maybe fed them too much so that they're out of balance and not the way God intended them for them to be? I mean, doesn't the Bible say right there in Psalms 37, 4b, he will give you the desires of your heart? I was talking with somebody once and they said, God says he'll give me the desires of my heart and who gives me the desires that are in my heart? He made my heart. He made it the way it is. So if these desires are here, then he will give those to me. You see a problem with that? (laughs) They were so sincere. They were so sincere. And what they desired wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It was a ministry position. And as I was talking to this person, they were just saying, this is what I want. This is what I want to be and what I want to do. And God gave me these desires. And the scripture says that he'll give me the desires of my heart. I, <laughs> I was trying to show the person, do, do you see how you've developed some circular reasoning here? You're saying God gave it you to the desire, then he's going to give you the desires of the heart. That means we're... <laughs> It's all, it's, it's messed up. It's circular. Your, your reasoning is flawed there. I didn't say this to him, but this is what James would have said next. You adulterer. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. That is harsh. That is harsh. I've talked to so many people who say, well, what does that mean then? We got to live in a commune. We've got to be Amish now. Are we not supposed to be around people? Is, it, is everything of the world so evil that we don't partake in anything? You know, I grew up in a time in Christianity when we were kind of like that in the assemblies. I don't know. It, most of you probably. Do you remember when we weren't allowed to go to movies? Anybody remember that? I think <laughs> three of us. Okay, four or five. Thank you. My first movie I ever saw in the theater. Well, now I saw The Sound of Music, but that's because my dad was in the Navy. We lived overseas on a military base, and they showed it in the gym. So it wasn't technically a theater, I guess. Now, my parents weren't really hung up on it, and they didn't have really a lot of issues with that. They, they would just explain something like, well, it's just not the best thing, and the morals and the values aren't the best and whatever. And I was cool that we had plenty of activities, plenty of things to do. I never felt deprived, but honestly, the first movie I ever saw was Chariots of Fire, And I think I was in college, maybe even. I think I was in even in high school. So I missed Rocky. I missed the first Star Wars when it first came out. I missed. But honestly, they didn't seem like that big a deal because I didn't really know about it. But I do remember when things started to loosen up and my my parents went with me to a movie once. It was so funny. You know, they felt so like, wow, I wonder if anybody else sees us. Like they're sneaking in. And then when they got in the theater, they're like, this isn't really bad. (laughs) No, it's not. You know, we need to learn a little discernment here. So where is that boundary? Where, where is it where a friendship with the world? I mean, what's the context here? What, what is James actually telling us? Because a few minutes ago, he was talking about selfish desires. And if I could help us with this just a little bit, I would say this. When he's talking about adulterers here, he's talking about the fact that there are times where we give too much allegiance to the world where that's our first love. And we leave, pardon me, that becomes our love, and we, we leave our first love, which was supposed to be him. And it's not just talking about things in the world like a movie. It's talking about the philosophies of the world and the things that the world thinks are important. That's what it's talking about. Where we buy into that, that 
worldview that we have to get more and gain more and that those are the things we need and we are never satisfied in getting. That kind of thing. The selfishness that the world represents. The sinfulness in the sense of the sensuality that the world represents. doesn't mean that you have to wear, you know, a high button collar and sleeves. and That's not what it's talking about. As Christians, I think it's more important for us to develop a bit of discernment. And, and like I mentioned before, check plugged in online before you go to a movie so you, you aren't embarrassed when you get there and your values aren't compromised. Do that ahead of time. But don't write off everything because that that's not what God is talking about. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. I think the difference is this. I, I, was, at a, I was at a conference one in the, and once, and this friend of mine was speaking, and he said it like this. He said, imagine, imagine if you would, that this, this table represents Christ. And then, which way are you facing him? Or where are you in relationship to him? Do you have your back to him? Toward the world? Are you neutral? Like either or, they're both good. Are you facing him? Are you moving toward him? Are you striving toward him? Or worse, are you walking away? That's what this is talking about. Where is your attitude toward Christ and who is your allegiance toward? And in which way are you moving? Are you progressing toward him? Are you growing in Christ? Or are you slowly drifting and walking away? How many of you have ever been to the beach? to a real ocean on the Pacific side. I'm just kidding. They've, they've got one on the other side, but how many of you have done this where you've stood in the waves and as you're standing in there on the waves, you just start to be moved. You don't have to do anything. You just stay still and yet you still move. The sand is moving out under your feet as the waves pull and they pull that sound out under. You've got to either step forward or backward because you're going to be moved. That's how it is in our, in our walk with Christ. It's not something that we just stay still and you have to be moving toward him, actively doing something to grow that relationship. I love this. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit of God has placed within us, God has placed within us is filled with envy? I don't know how many of you are Oprah watchers, but one of the reasons she said she left classic Christianity and started her own faith is because she read the scripture that said God is a jealous God. And she said, well, if God could be jealous, then that's not a real God. She missed the point completely. What he is saying here is that our God doesn't want to share your affections or your interests or your loves or your your, your whole heart. He doesn't want to share that with anything. Certainly not the world and its empty, hollow, unsatisfying philosophies. He wants all of you. He wants a relationship with you. That's why he uses the picture of a husband and wife so many times in scripture as a, as a comparison to the relationship that he would have with you. That's why this section of scripture right here talked about calling us adulterers. Because he looks at it as a relationship. When he, when he created man, he wanted that love relationship forever. I mean, have you read Hosea, the book of Hosea? What a picture of a, of a God who continues to strive and is envious for our love and affection. If you're not familiar with that book, Hosea was a prophet. And God told him to go marry a prostitute. As you read scripture, there's sometimes where you just shake your head and you say, Oh, I'm glad I'm not Hosea. So he takes this woman in 
And that woman is us. We're the ones that have been defiled and soiled and chosen to sleep with this world that, that is unsatisfying. And then she leaves him and goes back to that life. And God says to him, go get her and bring her back. Three, four times. Unbelievable. But that's the picture of the God that is envious for a relationship with you. That's how desperately and how bad he wants a relationship with you. That that picture is an apt picture. And it shows how we are, even though we've had a good relationship with him, we still fail and we still walk away and we still sin and we still put other things ahead of our relationship with him. And here it gets better. I know he's been rough on you, but here he gets better. But he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. He gives us even more grace to stand such evil desires as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. Here's what I love about Christianity. Not only is it the religion where God comes to us and calls to us, it's not about us always striving and possible to get to him, but he comes to us. Then he gives us the grace which is required for us to, to be changed. I think of it sometimes, you know, it's, it, I think somebody, ha, some people have the misconception that that's like it's this God and Jesus are standing up high above us like this. And God's looking at Jesus and look at like, look at those, look at those people. <laughs> look at them. They're trying to get up here and crawl up here, but they can't. Oh, wait, this one almost made it. Ugh. Okay, back down. That's not him. Not him at all. What he's doing is as he sees you striving toward him, he reaches down in love and gives you that grace that you do not deserve to pull you up toward him. That's what he does. So what we need, what we need, oh, let me go back a step here. What we need, it says that God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. As pastor was preaching Sunday, (laughs) Nicole kept elbowing me and I kept leaning over to her and saying, he keeps preaching points of my sermon. I love when God does that. Because honestly, there were parts in the sermon Sunday which I needed to hear. Because I can guarantee you, I have never prayed for Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Ahmadinejad. Never. Never. I was proud. I was proud. And I needed to hear what Pastor had to say about the fact that God died for him as much as for me. And I love the part where he said, you dirty, they're dirty, rotten, just like you. (laughs) That's real humility. And God opposes the proud. Now, when I read this, usually I wasn't thinking of me. When I read this, I usually think of people I know who are proud. That's what I think of. But it's talking about me. It's talking about you. There are parts of your life where you're proud of, of, of things that, that's not right. Now, be proud of your kids. Be proud of that kind of stuff. Be proud of your church. Be proud of all. That's wonderful. What this is talking about is the things where we do fail and we come up short. We need a submission and humility app. Because it doesn't come naturally to us as humans. We are not naturally this way. Once in a while, you come across a person who is naturally humble and you just want to hug them because they're nice. But most people aren't like that. In the culture we live in today, it's not like that at all. We live in a culture that smack talks and trash talks and has to be tough all the time. And we, we, 
glorify and elevate fake pro wrestlers <laughs> and attitudes. And this, is, this makes me sad. I mean, I love the NBA and I love watching basketball. But those guys look like thugs today. I'm not, I'm not necessarily opposed to tattoos per se, but are you kidding me? I mean, these, but that's what we elevate. That's what we do today is say is if you can look the baddest and meanest and thuggish the most, come in with attitude as if that's what it is. What is that? That's the exact opposite of humility and submission. When I said a couple weeks ago and pastor mentioned that, you know, Christianity can appear like a weak, weak religion. I guarantee you that's one reason why some men reject it. Because it's almost as if Christianity has been feminized and people have missed the point of what this is. That true strength is somebody who doesn't have to front and act like they're tough when they're not. They don't have to. True, true strength is someone who knows who they are in Christ and they're comfortable with that. And they don't have to put on airs and act like they're something else. We need this submission app. What's great is James doesn't leave us just bloodied on the ground and feeling like we're hopeless. He tells us, now it's a little rough. Even the solution is rough. It's almost like when, did any of your moms use methylate monkey blood? Yes. It's almost like that. It's going to hurt a little. Oh, and then we used, we used to always use, uh, did anybody use peroxide too? Yes. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> it's going to hurt a little, but you'll really, you'll heal better if you get this medicine. The first thing James tells us in chapter 4, verse 7, the first part is, submit yourselves then to God. Sorry. I put the two different versions up there because this one's out of the New Living Translation, one's out of the NIV. One says, submit yourselves then to God. The other says, so humble yourselves before God. These words are very simple or similar, submit and humility. It's very, very difficult for us to do. Because for us to do this, we have to die to ourselves. We have to put down the, the human nature that's within each of us that demands to be seen and heard, that demands what we want when we want it. And we have to submit to what he wants. But let me tell you something about that. When you do that, think of who you're submitting to. You're not submitting to a capricious God that that you never know whether or not you can trust. Pastor mentioned it Sunday. Unfortunately for Muslims, they cannot be assured of salvation. They have all these things they have to do, giving of alms. They have to, uh, there's so many requirements in their religion, but even then they don't know for sure. The only sure way is to die in jihad, in a holy war. The only way. We don't serve a God like that. You are not submitting to a God like that. You are submitting to a God who not only loves you, but has your best interest in mind. You're submitting it to a God. It's almost like, well, think of it like this. You know how times where, this is a guy thing, I guess, again. But, you know, have you ever tried? I remember my dad and I used to put together models. Did anybody ever do that? Like model planes and model ships and all that? Four of us again. Okay, well, if you've never done that, let me tell you how it used to be. Used to be the parts didn't snap together. It wasn't like that. They matched, but then you had to get glue airplane glue that was really smelly and super sticky so if you messed up it was a big deal because the glue i think the glue actually would melt that plastic and mold it that way it was incredible so if you, if you messed up you were really messed up 
So there were times where I remember we would be making a model and, and uh, there would be pieces that just there's no way they're going to fit. They, they're sitting here and I don't know where they go. We didn't read the instructions. We didn't read the manufacturer's instructions. When you're submitting to God, you're submitting to the manufacturer, the one who knows how to do it best. Not only does he have your best interest in mind, but he knows how it will work best. I say, I say this all the time. God's rules are meant to protect and provide for you. He's not a cosmic killjoy who doesn't want you to enjoy life. That's not, that's not it. Instead, he knows how you could enjoy best and have the best fulfillment in life. This is not, faith in God is not something that we come into blindly and thinking, oh, I hope this works out. No, this is tried and true where we know this is the best way. You will be happiest if you do this this way. That's who we're submitting to. The next thing he says is resist the devil and he will flee from you. I love this because it's so simple, but it's so difficult. When he says resist the devil and he will flee, I think that tells us something about the devil, which we, have, we don't see other places in scripture. He will flee. He will flee if you resist. Now, resisting is, is, is difficult because I think there's a deep part of us that doesn't want to. It's almost like we say we're against sin, but then we hold on to it just a little bit because sin is fun. Never make the mistake of telling somebody that it's not fun. It is fun, but in the end, it ends in death. Sure, it's fun, but it won't be fun forever. And the law of diminishing returns applies to sin as it does everything else. And eventually it will, you will need more and eventually it will kill you. So resist it. Build into your life those resistances to sin, whatever it takes to do that. And let me give you another little piece of advice. Do it, do it when you're in a good place. <laughs> Decide to do that when you're in a good place. Don't wait until you're in the heat of the moment of whatever's going on. Whatever, you, whatever it takes for you. You know there's an app for phones that's called uh, Drive Safe. I think it is. It, come, it comes standard on my phone with T-Mobile. And... Um, I, it's too scary. I don't think I would ever use it, but it's a great thing. What it does is you, you, when you turn it on, it completely disables your phone. So when you're driving, you're not going to text. Anybody struggle with that, text and driving? Deborah says no, not at all. Okay. Steve, do you struggle with it? No? <laughs> okay. I do. To, to resist means to, to make a decision to do those types of things and protect yourself from sin in advance so that you can withstand the enemy of our souls. Look at, look at number three. Come close to God and God will come close to you. To me, this is pr- probably the most powerful part about it. And maybe that's just because of who I am. I like this part the best. We've talked about this in different ways. You know, what you feed grows. There's so many ways to look at this, but the more you have of God in you, the stronger you will be to resist the devil. Does that make sense? The more of him you have, the easier it will be to look away from those other things. The more of him you have, the less, the less uh, tempting the world will be. The more of him, the more of that. Well, how do you get that? Get it any way that works for you. That's what I say. If scripture for you is something that has been dry and dull, you're reading the wrong parts or you're reading the wrong version. I promise you, it is an amazing book. And, and thankfully, remember that Bible app I showed you and how many different versions there are? 
You can bump through all those at any time. I mean, I do it constantly where there's so many different things. You know, you can go to the Life Application Bible. You can go to, uh, to um, versions that are more literal. You can go to modern versions. If you want to hear something that sounds more flowery, go to the King James, 400-year-old English. Go ahead. Enjoy. Whatever works for you, do that. If it's worship music, do it. I, I did something the other day. I was doing some, we're putting in some tile in our bathroom, and um, it was just quiet back there, and I was just thinking, ah, it'd be nice to hear something, and I, and I remembered about the Bible app that'll read the scripture to you. I listened to half the New Testament, and I wasn't, it wasn't like I was just listening, listening, you know, it wasn't like I was studying or making notes, but to hear the word like that run over your mind, man, it, it changes your attitude. Maybe, maybe you're a music person, and I have to be honest, I'm, I love music, but I'm, I don't listen to music in the car. I just don't. But if you do, I mean, I would recommend that we have great, great stations here in the Kansas City area, great Christian stations. There's like three, four. Whatever style you like, you got it. Incredible. Remember that verse? I kind of messed with you a little bit. I showed you Psalm 37, 4B. I didn't show you A on purpose. Because he will give you the desires of, the, of your heart if and when you take delight in the Lord. That's what it's about. I know I mentioned this before. St. Augustine said, love God and then you can do whatever you want. If you delight in the Lord and he is the first thing on your heart and mind every day, then of course, do the desires of your heart. Because the desires of your heart will be lined up with him. It'll be what he wants. If he's number one, then whatever he wants is number one. Align your will with the will of God. The more you know him, the more you know his will. Everybody struggles with this. God, what's God's will for me? I want to know about this. I want to know my future, my career, my wife. I mean, all these questions that you have in your life. And people want to know what's his will. And I want to know how close are you to him? The more you know him, the more you know his will. Think about those of you who have, you know, lifelong friends or maybe your husband and wife have been married for a long time and you know what the person's thinking. You know how they'll react. It's not like you have to ask them. You know, because you know them. Uh, this, this comes right out of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I put this in here for two reasons. Number one, God's will is not always being done. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have said this. He told his disciples to pray for the will of God. The reason God's will isn't being done is because we are here and he gave us free will. So sometimes we don't do what he wants and people don't. We make mistakes that way. My, my point in giving you this is we should be praying for God's will to be done, whatever that is. How do you know what that is? The more you know him, you will be praying his will. But more importantly, I'm wondering how many of you are praying that God's will is done in this church? Do you, do you pray often for pastor, for the direction, for people to come in here, for people to be saved, your friends to be saved, your family, your neighbors, for God to give you an opportunity to share? Who better than you? For whom and what are you praying? Here it gets tough again. Wash your hands, you sinners. <laughs> Let me say that again. Wash your hands, you sinners. Is that better? It's hard for me to say it with, with a lot of anger because it's me. 
It's me too. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. I want to remind you that James is writing this to the church. He's not writing it to an American, safe, affluent church. He's writing it to Christians who were already in persecution. They were not playing games like a lot of Christians here today do in America, where it's easy to be a Christian. I mean, nothing goes wrong. We're cool. It was more like he was writing this to people that might be Christians today in Iraq or Iran or places where Christianity is under assault. To be a Christian then meant that you really sacrificed and you really committed and you had to really mean it because it wasn't just a title or something your dad did or your mom and that made you a Christian. He's, He's writing this to people who are already probably under persecution and yet he's still telling them Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So how much more is that message to us? In what areas of your life have you compromised? Or would this be true of you that you're double-minded and not totally sold out to him? There's a lot of definitions of what a Christian means. I like the one that talks about Christ follower or disciple, someone who looks like Jesus. How much do you do that? The next thing he says, and it gets even more tough let there be tears for what you have done let there be sorrow and deep grief does your sin offend you like it offends him i doubt that you know that song we sing that says i'll never know how much it cost to see my sins upon the cross every time we sing that song it kills me Because I just picture it's my hands nailing the the nails in his hands. It's my sin that put him there. It's your sin that put him there. And when James writes this, I know it sounds over the top here, but do you really cry over that? Are you really contrite? And recognize the fact that our sin is serious? In the NIV it says, grieve, mourn, and wail. So the New Living Translation, let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. And the NIV and the King James says, grieve, mourn, and wail. And that's where the section ends. And he leaves us there. Now, he mentioned grace a few minutes ago and lifted us up and told us he would help us with it. But he ends with this. Why would he end there? He ends there because... Christianity has a lot of ways this kind of upside down kingdom where things don't things are surprises to us and Jesus phrases things in ways that maybe we didn't expect because because he came to redeem us and change us and show us a better way to live this upside down kingdom some parts of it is are offensive and yet some parts of it are very very enticing do you realize that that in Christianity what he's trying to get you to do is to free yourself of all of this. Some people look at it as guilt and putting guilt on people and, oh, it's not right because all you do is heap mounds of guilt and people walk around with this heavy load of burden of guilt. No, no, that's the exact opposite. What's really true is he frees us from that sin that we live in and we're no longer bound to live that way, but instead we can live a better way, a better way. Nick, could you lead us? I want you to shut your eyes for just a moment. And I want us to get real with with who we are, where we are, 
and who he is. Because as, with your eyes closed, I want you to think about it for a minute. When he says that we are double-minded, where are you double-minded? Where is it that you have fallen more in love with the world than with him? Where is it that maybe you have been proud and prideful and you need that humility? Where is it in your life that you have fallen more in love with the world than maybe with him? I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you because I, I can sense him speaking to me and pointing out things in my life. He does that for us because that's who he is and he gives us the grace then to redeem us from those things. What I would like to do is is pray a, a prayer with you of forgiveness and repentance. Asking God to forgive us of those things and to cleanse us and make us new. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'd like you to pray along with me. Don't just listen to me, but agree with me in prayer and, and, and maybe pray your own version right along with me. Father, we are, we are a needy people. We come before you as human beings who are...